this is your Thursday daily delivery. Happy June 9th to everybody who celebrates. Hope you have a nice day out there today. It looks beautiful. Looks like it should be uh, a great day to be just to be in Minnesota. It's been a great June, a nice last few weeks. So get out there and enjoy the nice weather. Twins beat the Yankees. We'll get to that in a little bit. That's a breaking news story uh, to some of us because they've not had success, um, to say uh, to say the least, against New York in the last one, two, twenty years or so, as we talked a lot about on Wednesday's show. So we'll dissect that 8-1 victory and some of the key components of that here in a little bit. Jerry Zagoda covers golf for the Star Tribune. will also join me here in a little while to talk about the new Saudi-backed tour, which starts today in London. A lot of golfers making the uh, making the trip, making the uh, kind of switching alliances, going away from the PGA Tour. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed, two of the latest. Although I don't think they're playing in this event. They're playing in a later event, but... Uh, the ripple effect of that on the PGA Tour, the ripple effect of that on the 3M Open, specifically the tour event here coming up later this summer. So Jerry and I will get into a lot of that as well as some of the human rights discussion around this tour and a lot of the objections that are correctly being raised by people uh, as to how this is all playing out. Um couple of other baseball stories of note to get to, including one involving Williams Astudillo, the Tortuga. He's back and better than ever. And Cooper Cup, big extension with the Rams, what that means for the Rams, and what that means for maybe Justin Jefferson, who will be extension-seeking after this season, which will be sooner than you think. But first... What did I miss? Like I said, we're going to talk twins at the beginning here. And, you know, one out of 162 is kind of how we talk about baseball sometimes, just because there's so many games, it's hard for one game to stand out above others. But, you know, the twins, like we had talked about going into Thursday's game, were 38 and 110 against the Yankees since 2002, including 2-16 and 16 in the playoffs. So when you factor that in, when you factor in that the Yankees came into this game 40-15, and 15, that they had beaten the Twins 10-4 to 4 in the first game of the series on, uh, on Tuesday, and the fact that they were, they were putting, you know, the, one of their best pitchers out there, and they have a whole bunch of very good pitchers right now, but they were putting one of those best pitchers out there in uh, in Nestor Cortez. Um, you know, Twins got to him pretty good in this game. They win 8-1. to one. I saw an amazing stat. Um, this was the Yankees' 56th game because they are now 40-16. and 16. Um, The Yankees this season had not trailed in any game by more than six runs. And the Twins put them in that spot in the seventh inning when they took that 8-1 to one lead. So, you know, just pretty impressive performance all around for the Twins. Chris Archer, who's pitched pretty well this year, albeit in kind of a limited four- or five-inning role a lot of the time, ERA 3.65, 
He went five innings, only had 70 pitches, but five innings, two hits, one run. Did have four walks, but uh, got two strikeouts. Twins helped this game by four double plays. Um, And then Griffin Jacks, Emilio Pagan, and Caleb Thielbar get the rest done with four shutout uh, shutout innings in relief. But yeah, Cortez only, only went four and a third, seven hits, four runs, all of them earned. And then the Twins got to the bullpen a little bit two um you know the big hitting stars in this game ryan jeffers and byron buxton both with a long home runs and jose miranda who got off to a horrendous start after being called up from triple a st paul uh had it's been very good lately he's got the average up to 223 which doesn't sound great but from where it was that is good had three hits three runs batted in in this game um and so, you know, just a good all-around game for the Twins, which we don't see very often against the Yankees. Like I said, um, this has been a struggle for them for as long as most of us can remember. You know, so now they're sitting at 3-2 and two, um, against, you know, in this nine-game stretch that we kept talking about against Toronto, the Yankees, Tampa Bay, trying to win another series in the finale Today, it's a tall task, again, with the projected pitching matchups. You've got Dylan Bundy against Garrett Cole. I will not not say that's a good matchup for the Twins, but you know what? You never know, because you would have looked at this game with Chris Archer going against Nestor Cortez, and you would have said, "Uh, I don't think that's going to happen for the Twins in this game, and they went 8-1. So, you know, baseball can be funny like that sometimes but Bundy's been really bad lately ERA of almost nine in his last six starts while Cole has been very good all year five and one 2.78 ERA but even if they lost this game 640 start uh, in this one the Twins have to feel okay about what's going on so far against this stretch of good teams right I mean they we didn't expect much from them, and maybe we need to raise our expectations. Maybe this is a sign that we need to lift up our expectations for them because they, they've they continued to prove us wrong most of the year. They, they certainly did not compete against Houston or the Dodgers. Not many teams have. They got one from the Yankees. If they can win this game Thursday night, I think that changes the complexion of the season doesn't guarantee anything going forward, doesn't guarantee anything when you get to the postseason if they are going to get there, but that will change some impressions about this team if they can win tonight. Even if they lose, they're fi- they're in fine shape in this nine-game stretch, but they could change some impressions um, if they could get this win. But 8-1 on uh, on Wednesday, that was that was a very good win for them. Let's hear from Rocco Baldelli, Twins manager, after the game. It was a good decisive win for the group yeah. and uh, uh, Arch went out there and did a great job giving us five really really uh, thorough innings out there and um, a lot of big swings everywhere you looked uh, and they're tough to score runs against and to, mm-hmm. to be able to go out there and score runs like that against them today was a great sign and uh, uh, just a good night. So like I said going for the series win tonight we'll see if they can get it done see if Dylan Bundy can stay in the rotation it's been a struggle for him and with uh, Griffin, I'm sorry, with uh, 
with Joe Ryan making a rehab start in St. Paul pretty soon here, trying to come back. Um, looks like they could be getting a little bit healthier on the pitching front. Might be uh, might be a time to think about uh, a move there in the rotation. So big start, uh, big start tonight for Dylan Bundy. I would imagine in the big opportunity for the Twins. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Now, before we get to Jerry Zagoda, I want to clear out a couple more baseball-related things. And I should mention, too, we will talk NBA Finals a little bit later on in the show as well. I don't know if I teased that at the beginning of the show, but certainly we'll talk about Boston's Game 3 win that gives them a 2-1 series edge. Um, But the two baseball things, one, Williams Astadio, La Tortuga. I don't know if you knew this, but he is back with the Miami Marlins and in full effect had a major clutch moment for the Marlins. Tenth inning comes into the game as a pinch hitter. Marlins are down one nothing after Washington had scored one run in the top of the tenth. Comes in, gets the game tie gets the game tying hit. Uh, single knocks in a run. He gets to second base on the throw. And then next batter up, single to right center. He comes flying around the bases as only Williams Ostadio can. Comes barreling into the plate, kind of does a half slide, half face plant, scores the winning run. The world, the crowd goes wild. Makes you miss him a little bit, maybe a lot. Um, he was never a great player, but he was always an entertaining, fun player when he was with the Twins. So good for him. Good for him getting to the majors with another team. Good for him having a positive impact in a game and continuing to do La Tortuga things. The other thing, the Angels fired manager Joe Madden the other day, uh, promoted Phil Nevin, former Twin uh, player in 2006 for a minute and they're in the midst of this long losing streak and in order to try to break the streak they had every player come to the plate Thursday uh, to a Nickelback song um, you know people try to do people do a lot of weird things to try to break out of slumps um, this certainly qualifies as one of the weirdest I have heard of but uh, it did not work. They lost for the 14th straight game. Lost one to nothing. So you got to list. Not only are you getting shut out um, in a game, losing your 14th straight game. Joe Madden's just been fired. But you have to listen to Nickelback every time you come to the plate. Um, now you might you might remember too. I started a little thing here called Tuesday Morning Nickelback during the NFL season last year. I could only sustain it for a few weeks because I just couldn't take the Nickelback. So I'm trying to imagine the um, the, the angst of batters who you know who would who would come to the plate have to listen to that that those songs um, and just continue to not get hits and keep losing. So tough for the Angels in that regard. Tough in a lot of different ways for them. And, uh, you know, this is how you remind me that uh, that they have 14 losses in a row. Glad to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Jerry Zagoda, covers golf for the Star Tribune. 
Interesting time for golf right now, Jerry. And you had an interesting story earlier this week, um, kind of about the you know the Saudi-backed tour. This uh, whatever they're calling it, LIV, whatever they're calling it, fifty-four. I know it's Roman numerals. Whatever we're calling it um, is having a major disrupting effect on golf. All sorts of you know human rights questions being correctly raised in conjunction with this Saudi-backed tour, but a lot of prominent players also you know going to play in this first event starting thursday in london and now we've got some commitments now too uh we see wednesday bryson dechambeau and patrick reed sounds like will be playing um on future events but you wrote about kind of the impact on you know the pga tour and particularly on you know the 3m open which you know of course for a long time was a um, champions tour event, but is now a regular tour event. And a lot of the players who normally would be playing on this tour, um, what probably will not be this year, or at least some, some rather big names when you caught up with, uh, Hollis Kavner the other day, what was the, what was the kind of the big takeaway that you had from your conversation with him? Well, he didn't seem too concerned about it, but he did acknowledge that it probably will impact or could impact their field this year. If you look at that, Top guys who have committed, you know, Phil, Dustin Johnson, uh, today, DeChambeau, Reed, Oosthuizen, Schwartzel, um, Sergio, those guys have all played here before. That's not meaning that they were going to play here this year, but it's just, you know, another, the pool gets smaller. It was already small because they're at the, um, the week after the British Open, which makes it challenging. And now you add guys who, now the question is, you know, can, are they going to try to play on both tours? What, how's the PGA Tour going to respond? Oh, that's going to be all kinds of intrigue coming out here. The other, uh, the other day, Phil released a statement saying, you know, he's going to play on the, this 54 tour or whatever, whatever we're calling it. Um, but he also planned to do the majors, play the majors. So how is that going to work out? And it, is, is it going to be welcome? So, you know, the coming days and weeks, so it'll be interesting to see what it looks like. It's going to be uh, kind of high-tech broadcast, but it's not going to be on a major network. It'll be streamed starting uh, tomorrow in London. and. And then how it plays out, the first event here in uh, the U.S. in Portland at the end of the month, just what it's going to look like and sound like. Now, to, to back this up a little bit, you know, this is a you know tour that's been talked about for a while now. It's it's you know backed by by the Saudis. It is three three days, not four. There's no cuts, and you know there's kind of it's kind of a kind of a team captain format. So it's much different than. The PGA Tour, um, you know, that said, it, you know, the, I, I imagine the money is the big appeal to these guys. A lot of these guys getting major, you know, guarantees to go play on this tour. Um, you know, what, what's your take on just the the decision these guys are having to make and kind of the the process they're going through to, to come to these decisions? And, you know, you know, whether it's eventually leaving the PGA Tour or trying to have it both ways, um, you know, going to this upstart that certainly has some questions about it i hate the word legacy but you know like in a case like uh, like phil you know how is this history going to look at these guys who you know some people call it blood money that they're taking um just how are they going to look at it the careers they've had you know if, if they tie themselves to this uh tour exclusively and they don't play again on the pga tour and i'm not sure if that's ever going to happen but that's the that's the thing that's kind of um at stake here and you know it is it's it is different it's 54 holes like you said 48 players so it's a smaller field much smaller no cuts everybody gets their money and i think this first event's 25 million dollars pays the the winner four million but as you mentioned the difference also is that it's uh 
a team event as well. So it's going to have kind of a different format. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, you're going to have guys that you've heard of, and then you have a bunch of guys you've never heard of. So even filling that 48 player field. Are you surprised at the number of big names we're seeing in this at this point? Did you think it would get to, you know, Phil had the comment, you know, three or four months ago that kind of touched off a lot of this conversation and he's kind of walked some of that back and apologized for that this week. Um, but, you know, it kind of felt like at that point, a lot of golfers were going to kind of approach this with kind of a hands-off kind of seeing what the, you know, what the rightful backlash to it was. Are you surprised or, you know, what's your reaction to all the big names we are seeing? I mean, it's not all the biggest names in golf, but it's a lot of it. I think, I think we're up to nine former major champions who are going to play in some have committed to some sort of event in this tour. And that's, you know, those are some pretty big names in golf. And in addition to the ones we've already mentioned, how, how many in the top 20 currently? Yeah, you know, sure. A lot of guys that haven't had, I, I asked Hollis, you know, is this going to be a seismic shift for the game? And he goes, unless their fields get a lot better. He said, I, I, he doesn't, he doesn't see it. And he claimed that he wasn't too worried about it, but, uh, you know, you don't have the, the, the top 10 guys. You don't have the Rory's and the Scheffler's and the, you know, they, even though some of those guys don't have big names yet, but the guys who are playing their best, um, guys you do are having is DeChambeau, who's trying to find his game. Patrick Reed, who, you know, has won another major since the, the Masters. Ustazen, who's played pretty well. Uh, Schwartzel, who's, who's been here the last couple of years and uh, was trying to kind of come back as plays well in the majors, you know, and then you've got, you got Kepka. It's Chase Kepka, not Brooks. So, <laughs> uh, I, I, and the interesting thing is, it looks like they're going for like a lot of these recent amateur champions. That they're, yeah. they're trying to get young guys and maybe build with them. And I, I don't know if the tour is going to be around that long for that strategy to pay off. But that's another interesting thing to look at. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, you're right. It is more of the guys who have won in the past. Maybe some bigger names. I mean, Phil Mickelson certainly still, you know, capable of winning, but you know he's. Up, you know, he's eligible for the champions tour now, right? He's over 50. He's a six time major champion, you know, Dustin Johnson, a two time winner, but you know, guys like, you know, Sergio Garcia, Charles Schwartz. I mean, some of these people have left the PGA tour, have resigned from the tour, like Dustin Johnson, Sergio, um, Charles Schwartz, Kevin Na. But, you know, I'm interested to see what, you know, how, how the PGA eventually reacts to this. They've been trying to take a hard line stance by threatening, you know, threatening punishment for people who do play on this tour. But I don't know at a certain point where the leverage changes or whether the leverage never changes and they still feel like they've got, you know, 95% of the best still playing on their tour. You know, I can't help but think when I think, when I look at this and all this stuff, then I tune in on my TV on the weekends, the USFL, with yeah. the Birmingham Stallions, you know, back 30, 40 years later after they tried to kind of make their own league and, um, We'll, we'll, we'll see with this. I mean, uh, I, I just don't know. Are people going to tune in? To, unless these fields get a lot better, are people going to tune in to see Phil and DJ play? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. And, you know, speaking of good questions, I want to play one from earlier this week. This was an AP reporter talking to, I believe, Graham McDowell. Um, just these players who are playing in this event in London have been getting, like I said, rightfully peppered with questions about, you know, human rights, Saudi involvement in, you know, past, you know, atrocities, things like that. So I want to play that clip right now. You are now effectively working as an extension of Saudi PR. You talked about how this series is a force for good. And 
the journey you've been told about Saudi Arabia is on. How is that journey helping the women oppressed in Saudi Arabia, the migrant groups, their rights violated, the LGBTQ individuals who are criminalized, the families of the 81 men who were executed in March, and those being bombed in Yemen? Yeah, I mean, I wish I had the ability to be able to have that conversation with you. Um, you know, I think as golfers, if we tried to cure, you know, geopolitical situations in every country in the world that we play golf in, we wouldn't play a lot of golf. Um, it's a really hard question to answer. You know, we're just we're just here to focus on the golf and, and kind of, you know, what it what it does globally for, you know, for you know the role models that these guys are and that we are and. Uh, yeah, that's a really hard question to get into. And Jerry, you know, when you, you know, when you see these with these players being put into, you know, uncomfortable, but you know, this is what they signed up for positions. Um, do you, do you imagine this is more than they've bargained for, or do they, do you think they kind of went into this eyes wide open, knowing that there was going to be a certain backlash to it, you know, kind of seeing what happened with Phil Nicholson? Well, they should know that this thing's already is starting by taking a PR hit, you know, and then you got to be careful with what you say, because, you know, there's the famous quote, I don't know when it was, but fairly recently of the uh, tour commissioner, Greg Norman, talking about uh, uh, Jamal Khashoggi's and the, the Saudis saying, we all make mistakes. Right. Can you talk about a, a more tone deaf uh, a comment than, than that? So, I mean, all, they're already starting with, with that. So if, if they're not ready for the uh, for the, the questions, they, they should be. because They're coming couple more things for you, Jerry. Good stuff. Enjoying this conversation. And it's just, it's just a fascinating thing to me. I mean, like, I don't think we've seen something quite like this with the swirl of, you know, the money and the politics involved. And I like the USL, USFL example is a good one, but there are, you know, some, some differences here in terms of where the money is coming, coming from. Do you, I mean, ultimately, do you think this doesn't, you know, that they kind of make a splash early, but it's hard to sustain because where, you know, even if you're printing money, you, you can only convince so many people to come play on this tour. Or do, you, or do you think this finds a way to sustain itself beyond just kind of this initial burst of curiosity? Well, the interesting thing is these guys on the PGA Tour are all self-contractors. They're all out for themselves. They only get paid according to how they win and how they perform. Now the winners will get more here on this tour. But a lot of this, you know, if, you, if the top guys sign these big deals, I mean, it's basically an appearance fee, you know, it's not it's not so much dependent on them playing for, for, uh, for their livelihoods. And I think that's a difference. I mean, that's the, I think the one thing that makes the PGA tour compelling. Yeah. And I think it's going to be compelling too, to watch what happens, especially when this first event, um, you know, not just the London one, but the one in a few weeks in Portland, Oregon, when it comes to the U S and there's probably even some more attention put on, and there's a few U S events, if I'm not mistaken, there's, I think there's one in Boston. I think there's one in, Five of eight of them. So right, Chicago, Miami. So there's there's a whole bunch of them, um, kind of in the in this uh, in this area. Yeah. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. But uh, like I said, I, I can't recall a, a story with such uh, such intrigue to me, at least from from a number of different standpoints. So I don't know. I, I guess I'll I guess I'll watch it and see what you know. At a certain point, it's kind of hard to discern sometimes the quality of golf just because it it kind of looks the same uh, to, to me. Sometimes I don't have that level of expertise. Like when I watch a basketball game, I can tell the difference between the elite and the not so elite in golf. It's maybe harder for me to tell, but I do wonder you're right without a, without a TV 
deal in place with just a streaming deal, what the, uh, what the actual audience for this will be. And don't forget that two of the eight courses are also at Trump resorts. Oh man. Well, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack with these eight events. We'll, uh, we'll see how it all plays out, but it's, uh, it's been fascinating to watch so far. Jerry, uh, appreciate it. And we'll see how this impacts the, uh, the, uh, the, the 3M as we get closer to that as well. Mike, good talking to you. Interesting conversation with Jerry Zagoda. A lot of good points. He covers golf very well. Should be some good golf coverage from him coming up as the summer goes along. I'll be watching to see, you know, what the what the what the coverage of this of this tour is like as things go on. Are we going to focus on the golf? Or are they going to keep pushing on the human rights angle, which I think they should. Reporters should, uh, but we will see. We'll see these things tend to fade a little bit once the competition starts. So that will be a curious uh, thing for me to watch going forward. Let's shift gears a little bit right now for a couple things at the end. First, NBA Finals. Celtics win. Beat Golden State rather handily. Turn the tide in the fourth quarter again. A big fourth quarter for uh uh, for uh, for Boston, they outscore Golden State in the fourth quarter of that game, twenty three to eleven. So it was defense that told the story, particularly in that fourth quarter when Golden State, you know, came in trailing by just uh, just four points after a big third quarter. Um, tough thing for Golden State late in that fourth quarter, late in that game, Steph Curry got his ankle uh, rolled on. Um, sat on basically uh, during a scrum on the floor by Al Horford. Al Horford, a pretty big player. I would guess that Curry is going to be good enough to play, try not to put weight on it after the game, but obviously any injury to Curry is a, a blow, a major blow to anything the Golden State is going to try to do. They're already down 2-1 in this series. I think Boston has proved to be the better team uh, so far. Um, not really a surprise. I think they were, you know, all the, all the kind of analytics predictors had them basically at eighty percent to win this series going in. Golden State's Golden State's obviously got a lot of those key pieces from those championship teams still on the roster. Most notably, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson. I just don't know if they're a great team. I think they're a good team that took advantage of a weak Western Conference this year. To, uh, to get to these finals. Boston getting all sorts of great performances from their big players. Jalen Brown, 27 points. Um, Marcus Smart just filling up the box score, 24 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists. Jason Tatum, 26, 9 assists, 6 rebounds. Um, Boston's just a good, deep team. They are hard to deal with. And, uh, and maybe they're getting an extra edge. Uh, this was a storyline from Draymond Green continuing to do a podcast through these NBA Finals, um, the the Warriors forward has been doing a podcast all year. He got asked about it after the game. Let's play that exchange right now. I found listening to your podcast recaps the last couple of games pretty interesting. Are you conscious at all of what you're saying about the X's and O's, the game plans, the adjustments could be making their way back to Boston staffers and influencing their decision-making at all? No. Nah. Um, I don't say much different on the podcast than I say to you right here. So, nah. What's the X's and O's that I said on the podcast? 
Right. He actually asked the only real thing I, I noticed that like really stood out. You talked about how to cover White, Smart, and Horford differently between games one and two. That was really only. Oh yeah, that was just contesting shots. That if that's X's and O's, then I don't. You reaching for something? It's all good though. Keep going. You wouldn't Draymond. You would expect Draymond to say anything less than that. But it's interesting. I do wonder if maybe he should stop doing it during. The final, Steve Kerr said it doesn't bother him. Um, I'm going to keep doing this podcast during the NBA Finals, but that's different. I'm not playing in these NBA Finals. That would be, uh, I could not get a shot off, uh, even though I'm a okay um, pickup basketball player in the dad ball circuit. Um, I, I think I would struggle to play in these NBA Finals, but I'm not playing in these NBA Finals. I can, I can keep doing my podcast without anybody asking questions. People are asking whether Draymond should be doing it. Maybe that's legit. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's only a storyline because the Warriors are now in a 2-1 hole. We'll pick that one up a little bit more as uh, as the series goes along. I believe game four Friday in Boston. Let's finish with the cooler. Cooper Cup, Rams receiver, the very good Rams receiver, gets a three-year extension Adds about $80 million to his deal over those three years. So now he's got about five years and $110 million because he had the two years left at about 15 on his previous contract. So good for him. The Rams paying Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald. Interesting to note the context as we think about Justin Jefferson. If Justin Jefferson has the kind of year we think he will have, and there's not any reason to think he won't because he's been great his first two years, and now he has Kevin O'Connell, former Rams offensive coordinator, who was there when Cooper Cup has been thriving in L.A. as his head coach now in Minnesota, could get even more opportunities, more mismatches here in Minnesota. What kind of contract will he be due for after this 2022 season is over and they can get into the offseason next year and be able to extend him and keep him happy. So these numbers for wide receivers keep going up and up. Cooper Cup getting paid in that stratosphere. Justin Jefferson going to deserve that as well. Going to be hard to pay some other people, though, when a wide receiver is making that much. So pay attention to that uh, next offseason when Justin Jefferson is due for a big raise. That'll do it for today. Thanks for joining me here on Daily Delivery. We'll be back at it again on Friday.